Hi folks, I'm Alan Watson. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 3rd of November 2010. I always start off the show by suggesting to newcomers that they look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. On the website you'll see all the other official sites I've got listed there. Bookmark them for future use. If you find sticking on downloads of the audios or whatever, you can always try these alternate sites because a lot of folk go into the com at the same time sometimes and it causes some kind of jam according to the the big provider. Sounds like God, eh? Big provider. Anyway, uh, try these. And remember, all these uh, sites have the same audios for download. They all have uh, transcripts, a lot of transcripts in English for prints up as well, and English. And if you want uh, transcripts in other languages, look into Alan Watt Sentient, sentinel.eu. That's listed on the com site as well. And you can find uh, a variety of languages there to choose from for print up of the talks I've given. And while you're at it, too, remember, you're the audience that brings me to you. And um, you've got to support me if you want to keep me going. It's up to yourselves. I can give you a lot of uh, fancy stuff if you want. I can really enthrall you and make it very entertaining and bring in aliens and all kinds of strange things. Or I can give you the hard basic facts, which are rather cold, dismal. And uh, there's not an awful lot of hope in things because really the the fact is we've been run for such a long, long time by a very sophisticated system at the top uh, that uh, it's not that hard to break out of unless it may even take hundreds of years. It's been here for thousands, so it might take hundreds of years to break out of it. Uh, people want things very quickly. They want them done in their lifetime. And that's why they hand their power over to the ones who are put out to lead them off in outer space and all kinds of strange phenomena. That's up to you. One is entertainment, one is not. And of course, although the truth can be stranger than fiction, it's also a bit more boring, and that's a fact as well. However, if you want to know the truth, you've got to study the the boring stuff to get there, to find out what's really happening, and even to have a a glimmer of hope of changing something for the better, uh, at least for, for those around you, if not for yourselves, because you can't make it better for the entire world. That's the big con that we're supposed to believe in right now, is that we can all be equal in this world and share everything happily. And we've never had a system in their history like that. Even during the whole communist era, those at the top lived like kings, and those at the bottom lived on ideology and hope. So that's the system really is getting brought in worldwide. And it's amazing, too, to see the big bankers running it. Now, from the U.S. to Canada, remember, you can buy my books and so on. That keeps me going. Your personal checks are accepted in Canada. You can also use uh, uh, MoneyGram uh, from the States or Europe. You can use um, international postal money orders from the States to Canada, but not from Europe. You can use uh, Western Union anywhere, I think, almost, except for the Far East. Some of the countries don't accept it. And you can also use PayPal to donate or to purchase. If you want to purchase, send the donation in a separate email with your name, address, and order, and I'll get it out to you. 
And remember, this isn't a business, but I do need the cash to keep going to cover the expenses that I have. And it's quite a lot, even having all these sites up, never mind all the time involved and so on. It's, it's more than a full-time job. I wouldn't choose this if I, if I, my life depended on it. In a sense, I'm only doing it because I got to do something that's right. That's it. That's basically it. Something that's right. And uh, maybe someone else will benefit down the road. Hopefully. I've heard it said so many times by those who've got an inkling of what's happening. Well, thank God the worst will come down after I'm dead. And I think what a cop-out. Because those who knew before I was born let it happen to me and those around me as well. So why should we hand it on to the next bunch and let them take the hammer? Back with more after these messages. Hi folks, we're back and we're cutting through the matrix. I was looking at a couple of videos today. Someone sent me, one was about the banking industry in, in London, you know, the city as they call it. And I've heard this since I was born, the same problem with banks and so on and government oversight committees looking into things. It never amount to anything because the guys they appoint to look into the banks are all ex-employees of the big banks. And often they leave their positions and go back into the big banks again. So it's very much like the any of the big inquiry systems that we've got set up. Even the States is the same thing with the FDA. A lot of them are staffed with guys who literally worked with the big chemical companies and Monsanto and so on. Uh, and that's who, who they set up to inquire into themselves. It's an old boys club. And it's the same with the banking system in, in, in England and elsewhere. But the only really part that came out of interest was that the, the already, with the, all the, the billions of dollars they're giving in bonuses to the top dogs, was that they're, they're, they've lent out 50, 50 times as much uh, money as they actually have. So, I mean, they're the same old game as always. And we're told, dear, 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 there's nothing we can do. And all the hand-wringing by politicians is just beyond us. We're kind of helpless about it, and maybe things will be all right. And so supposedly, we're told at the end of the, end of the video, um, we can't do much. It's a balancing act. If these guys have another deck of cards fall, we're all done for, basically. Meanwhile, it's the bankers who are writing up the austerity bills. I'm not kidding. That's what I mentioned. That was interesting, too, how the bankers themselves came forth with the idea of austerity. doesn't make any any uh, um, new ground for me to break because I've understood for a long time that the big bankers are part of the world system. They've funded communism, they've funded Nazism, they do like totalitarian regimes. It's easier to operate uh, within those those countries. They simply um, get the, the, their puppets, the head of governments, to introduce the laws and collect all the debt and so on for them on their behalf. They don't have to do it. And what a great system it is for them, totalitarianism. A world corporate um, system is really running the show right now. It's a feudal system, as Professor Carl Quigley called it. And he was all for it, by the way. And he wrote extensively about it. But um, as I say, it's much easier for the big, big bankers that seem to always be there, always will be there by the looks of it. And even the projections into the future to do with the defense departments, think tanks on the next 50 years, they talk about the economies must be kept up at all costs, regardless, and so on. And so. In other words, they're not going to touch the banking at all. 
it's going to carry on as usual. And they'll continue funding um, their big movements across the world. Remember, their foundations as well, their big foundation men, their front men are the parallel governments. They fund the NGOs. They fund the United Nations. They created the United Nations. And through the United Nations, get everyone to sign agreements, which become charters, which become treaties, and all the rest of it as time goes on, bypassing all forms of input from the ordinary people who are kept dumb and amused or, or terrified by the, the events of the world, depending on what they give you at the time. That's, that's how the world is really run. And we know that they've used a, a reign of terror. That's what all this terrorism is about. It's a reign of terror. Suddenly it happened. Suddenly. You've got to ask yourself, why does something suddenly happen? And the whole world has to change at the same time on board, all together on the same track with really persecuting its own citizenry. And we can see that what's happening has nothing to do with terrorism as it's been portrayed. It's a reign of terror. So we all buckle under under a wartime scenario and give up all our rights, all our freedoms, and allow the state to push forward in a post-democratic society. That's what it's all about. And I'm not talking off the top of my head. They talked about this at the Club of Rome and all the other big UN think tanks years ago where they said they'd have to bring in authoritarian systems of rule because democracy simply was too cumbersome and didn't work. There were too many competing parties vying for power and they couldn't get the big jobs done. What do they mean by the big jobs? Well, you have to go into the writings of Carl Quigley and the setting up of the League of Nations by the bankers, the Milner Group, that became the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Council on Foreign Relations, who've been pushing wars and world governments since the early 1900s and under other names before the 1900s. Simple as that. You've got to do your homework and do it. You don't have to go looking, looking for aliens or anything like that or people who turn into strange creatures, they normally uh, wear exotic, put into exotic shoes or briefcases, you, you actually can find the real people who are flesh and blood, obviously, and uh, they bleed and they, they live and they die like we all do. But they do sign all the agreements, they sign all our rights away down through time. They also work behind the scenes and, and visibly in public sometimes to bring up across this world agenda. But Quigley said it too, he says, we can get more done in five years of war because government takes over and the public are quite willing to have their rights taken away for protection, it says, than in 50 years of peace and propaganda. It's much faster to get the job done with this kind of scenario going on. And of course, if they can't find terrorism, they've got to create it. And that's why it's so confusing. That's why it's so confusing you don't know what to believe anymore. And that's the madness that comes out of this. You really don't have much of a chance uh, because you'll never know what's true or false. What we do know is that almost every internal bomb plot that they've created or whatever found, like in Canada with the, the, and the U.S., it's always been a setup by the security systems, the FBI, or CSIS, or, or the RCMP, uh, by employing and putting out their own agents into the field, who then spout the radical lines, are given big websites, lots of cash, and attract young, immature guys into it who see these guys as father figures and they want to fight. They're young. They are the braves, the warriors, you might say, of the generation. And they get entrapped. They get set up and a sting operation happens. Then governments stand up and say, see, we have internal terrorism. And I keep warning young people all the time, regardless of your ethnic background, don't fall for someone from your ethnic background because you'll be employed by the agencies. If they're getting away with it, get away with saying things you would never get away with saying publicly or on the internet 
then it's because they're authorized to do so. The same thing's happened in England as well. And that's the kind of world we live in. Uh, you know, as I say, they can manufacture terror or the appearance of terror whenever they wish to. And believe you me, they'll give you real terror if it, if it came to that. Absolutely, there's no doubt about it. The end justifies the means. This global agenda with a complete transformation of society and the individual human is a very old plan. All of academia is on board with this plan. All of it. All of it. Across the world, the top academia, they're all on board with this plan. Sometimes you look at humanity and you shake your, you really do shake your head because we're so easily manipulated at the bottom level. And by the bottom level, I mean from the middle class down, including the upper middle class. So easily manipulated by those who give, give us the culture, the cultural changes, the permission to be immature children forever which is what the whole sexual revolution was. And then they knew at the top, because they've done this down through the ages in previous societies, what happens? You have chaos at the end, and the state's overburdened with all the, the taking care of everyone else's, um, I wouldn't say mistakes, but their decisions, because after all, everything that happens to you is a decision that you have brought on yourself. But we all pay for it. And then they tell you we're all in it together. I've watched this my whole life. Recently, too, I watched a, a series on uh, really the changing family of Britain, as they called it. And they went through a brief history of uh, from World War II onwards and the sexual revolution. And it was utterly farcical the way it was presented. But if you were young and you hadn't read anything else and you certainly didn't live through it, you'd probably take that as the truth. They never once mentioned the massive... Um, incredibly well-financed publicity campaign and uh, um, cultural changes put out by the cultural industry from the top down to change society into that kind of society that they wanted. Never once did they mention that influence, really. They made you think it is, it's just like some amorphous thing that comes out of the masses itself and, and manifests itself, which is utter rubbish. Utter rubbish. Because I lived through it, you see, or a good part of it. From an early age, I watched it. Very early age, I knew what was happening. And I listened to the older folk, too, who questioned what was happening and the causes of it. And there was nothing, believe you me, coming out of the grassroots, but everyone copied what, they were, what was promoted on television and in the movies. And it was incessant stuff, incessant. All the magazines, all the newspapers. Just do it, just do it, you know. And here you are, years and years later, with a wrecked Western world where there's more single mums for the ones that want children at all. There's more single mums than anything. And who's paying for most of it? Well, the states. I mean, who's the state you are? Massive taxation. Then they tell you now that they've wrecked it all to have austerity. All deliberate. All deliberate. Quite something. And remember, too, that Carl Quigley, who was probably the one of the, the, the best um, authors to come out with a lot of the data on the group that he worked for that was helping bring all this about, and again, who was for all the agenda. Uh, he said he, he liked all of what they, were, what they did, where they were going, just some of their methods he wasn't quite sure about, he said. But he did um, mention uh, that they were often mistaken in the U.S. the U.S. and other places for being communists, the reason being is because they employed the communists. 
they backed the communists. And the big bankers created communism. And by that I don't mean the little, the little street guys that were around with tin cans and pro- protest uh, banners. They, they, they led the, the thing from the top to bring this about. Now, they've got the world to where they want it to because, again, democracy, remember, was simply too cumbersome. Club of Rome. And here's an article here that's been on their minds for a long time to do away with as cumbersome as well. And it's amazing how they, they take you through a transformation between the old royal feudal system and take you, get you to go through a whole championing of yourselves, you think, as they create massive institutions over you until you're democratic, and then they take all your rights away from you. And I'll go into that when I come back from this break. Hi folks, I'm back and we're cutting through the matrix, just... Just really recapping a little bit of where we've been and where we're going and what's happening right now and showing you how things fit together. And it surely is a plan because, as I say, big players discuss this plan many times over in their books as they help set it up in their own lifetimes. In fact, at least they're part of it because this is an intergenerational ongoing thing. Quigley also said, of course, that that um, foundations are fantastic for this because they can set up different foundations with different particular mandates and they can go for 100, 200 years hiring, working and retiring and hiring and working ret- until they get their agenda accomplished. Whereas governments, they can't do that. They can't because, the, again, the people are kind of fickle. There's always things changing. But the, the foundations can literally aim at a goal and have a 50-year, 100-year plan, a 200-year plan and pull it off, especially when they're working in concert with other foundations that are set up to do the same thing from different angles. But here's an article here that ties in with, again, they take you through democracy, and then they demolish democracy. And society has already completely, utterly changed from what it used to be. You have to go through the old Communist Manifesto and the planks of it to understand what they wanted to destroy. And don't read just the planks. Carry on and read all their, their other books as well. But it says, cut jury trials. So they want to do it with jury trials. It's a victim's champion, a victim's champion, it's a Louise Casey, right? And it says she was appointed the victim's commissioner for the government in March. This is in the UK. This is happening all over, though. So who would have thought that the victim's champion, and that was her job, now is wanting them to just, just cut out jury trials for what they call minor offences. And remember, everything in law, you can stretch any word you want and to include anything you want. Like minor can go on forever. It says, so the right to trial by jury for many lesser offences should be ended in England and Wales, the Commissioner for Victims of Crime has proposed. Now, what the heck is she proposing this part of it when her whole job is for, for victims of crime? Anyway, it says almost 70,000 court cases each year could be heard in magistrates' courts, saving £30 million. So is it all about money, really? Is it When you see the money they're lavishing elsewhere, never mind what they've thrown at the banks recently, the trillion pounds, you know, with another trillion to come. And it says... Um, Miss Casey said the move would benefit victims of serious crime who suffered due to delays in clogged up crown courts. So, so it's all to, to satisfy the victims of serious crime. She said minor earlier on, it's serious crime. It says the pressure group Liberty. Here we go, another pressure group. 
stressed that the coalition government had promised to protect injuries. Miss Casey's call comes at the Ministry of Justice as they cut the budget for the courts and prisons. So there you go, they're cutting everything now, right? They give you all this stuff, then they cut it all back. Because what, it's going to save them cash. Why, why not give it to the bankers? You know, they've got big jobs to do across the world. Anyway, she said a jury trial should not be viewed as a right for crimes known as either way offences, which can be heard by magistrates or sent to trial in Crown Court. Now, a magistrate's the old way when they used to do it when they sent you off to the colonies, as they called it, where if you stole some bread or something because you were starving, uh, you were immediately shipped off in shackles on some creaky old dicky ship and dumped off in Australia to populate it, or, or North America, or somewhere else. The first, the first slaves in America were actually white slaves on this, done by this kind of uh, system. They were done by this kind of system. The magistrates, yep, you're guilty, you look it, and away you went. That was it. We should not view the right to a jury trial as being so sacrosanct that its exercise should be at the cost of victims of serious crimes. And she goes on and on and on. So they want to cut it because they're, they're already cutting back on the costs of the courts and so on. Now, I will agree on one thing, and we all know this too. Wherever you get lawyers, you get, you've got a racket going. And it's, it's like dentists and doctors or whatever else. Um, they charge incredible amounts of money for what, what they're supposed to be doing. And they do have an open uh, sort of door policy, or put this way, a revolving door policy uh, nowadays too. They make a lot of money off the off the cases, and the guys go through the revolving door. It's often cheaper to let them go than put them in prison. So it comes down again to cash and so on. But why have we got such crime now today, anyway? And a lot of stuff now really is so petty. Is, 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 it didn't used to be crime because we didn't have the laws on the books to make it criminal to do with your all of the, the, the things now to do with your vehicles and stuff like that. So anyway, you create the crime, you create the problems. You say, oh, it's terrible. See. We need a huge system, then you get, they create a huge system, and then, of course, they take your rights away. They still have the big system there, though, but they take your rights away. That's how it is, is done in this very old system. Thousands of years old, lots of archives kept on how things really do work. And another article is to do with the United Nations. Now, I've mentioned before how they came out with Agenda 21. The Patriot community started to, to, to talk about it and mention what Agenda 21 was and go through it for the public. And on their own site, and I read the article from the UN site where this says they're advising their different movements and organizations to use different terms for Agenda 21. This is the agenda to get all off the countryside and even eventually into the the major cities and just wreck uh, the, the homes you used to live in, turn it back to nice wilderness so that the, the wealthy, you know, the wealthy greenies can go trekking off and so get dropped off in choppers and stuff like that. And um, we'd all be crammed into these cities. Well, the, the more wealthy elite, uh, as, as befits them, should uh, live in uh, super cities, brand new, spanking new, of course, uh, all, all across the world. That's all part of Agenda 21 too. But it says, um, uh, the UN official outlines challenges facing cities amid, amid rapid urbanization, they're calling it. Now that they're really forcing the people in because they can't survive with the high taxation in the country anymore. And all the farmers are out of business. Back with more after this break. listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. 
because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks, I'm back, and we're cutting through the matrix. We're cutting through trying to get some reality out of what's going on and to show people that, that nothing's left to chance in this world. Every, every basic part of, of society, direction, and so on, is already covered. They're all guided by lots of shepherds who've all got their roles to play, and they know where they're, all, they're taking us all and where they're taking the world. And we're living, remember, too, in a dehumanized society that was essential as Julian Huxley said, the first uh, CEO of UNESCO, essentially to knock us off that pedestal to make us think of ourselves as animals. And then it was followed up by the creation of hedonism and narcissism. So we're all separate individuals, all doing our own happy little thing in our own happy little world. And we'll be oblivious of what's happening around us. We're easily guided and shepherded by those who take charge and, and deal with the big problems. So it's been that easy to get us where we are really. Uh, mind you, we have a media that doesn't tell us you what's really gone on at the time anyway. They tell you some parts of things, but they always miss out three quarters of the rest of it, which would give you the big picture. Anyway, it says in this article about the United Nations about the, the, the critical resources that are going to be needed for these urban centers. Point out some of the issues uh, this head of this UN department will be addressing as the executive director of the United Nations Human Settlements Program. That's another term they use for Agenda 21. So it's Human Settlements Program. But they prefer to call it UN Habitat because settlements has got that ring of, you know, concentration camps and stuff like that to it. So they've got different terms for it, but it comes under a sustainability, all of it. So these all these terms for the same thing. And it says, Joan Claus, that's the head of it, told reporters in New York that although cities hosted industries and businesses that create much of the world's wealth, they were not always able to raise the resources required to deal with the problems associated with expanding population. She says, we need to understand it better the economic role of urbanization. Uh, also, Mr. Claus, well, it doesn't matter, it could be Santa, adding that he will balance continuity and renewal during his term as head of the organization. We need to produce some changes and improvements in our organization in order to be more focused and more efficient inside the overall objective of the United Nations. The overall objective of the United Nations, right? Of delivering as one. Now, what do they mean by that? Delivering as one. And being more efficient in general, Mr. Claus said. And what goes on about two is the, the food resources, all that kind of stuff, etc. How will they cope with all of that? Because after all, you see, they've been destroying farmers, small farmers, for the last 50 years and giving the power into the big agri-food businesses. We're at the mercy right now of five corporations that probably are really one with the same shareholders across the whole world. For the whole food supply, how dumb can we be? How dumb can we be to play and be perpetual little children Well. They're taking your ability to grow or have your own food or have a choice of foods and different supplies, taking it all away from you. How stupid can a species be? Well, as stupid as us, obviously, because we've allowed it to happen when we're all playing. Incredible, isn't it? And yet, remember, too, the same United Nations for the Department of Agriculture stated years ago that farming was too important to be left to farmers. And if you do remember, if you do remember their other technique of faster um, uh, changes in society, it was communism and revolution. 
It was the first thing they did in, in the communists, apart from passing the heat laws, number one, which they did actually. Lenin passed them right off the bat. Um, the second part was to slaughter all the small farmers and then state took over all farming. Millions died with, with the fallout because they didn't know how to farm all these the state-run appointees and bureaucracies and so on. No one knew what to do. Same thing happened in China. Well, it's the same technique, only they're using the corporations, you see. There's many ways of covering uh, yourself with to be a chameleon. It's the same thing happening where you're a corporation or you call yourself a communist for the people agenda. It's all the same thing. Same guys running it, of course, too. You've got to disempower the people under the pretense of empowering them to make them utter slaves, dependent slaves, interdependent slaves. That means they're completely dependent on everything they need to survive on someone else or the system itself. And then, of course, you've gone about the emitters of greenhouse gases and all of the rest of the usual stuff, yada, yada, yada. That'll happen as more and more folk are crammed together, etc., etc. Health, transport, all that kind of stuff. And I won't read any more of their, their rubbish, but you can read it yourself at UN News and, uh, and have a good time playing yourself there with it. They talk exactly the same way, the same format as the communists did as well from when Moscow ran the show over there. Same terminology for everything. It's quite amazing. Or is it? Is it? Well, there's someone on the phone, and it's um, Glenn from Philly. Are you there, Glenn? Hello. 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 Yes. Yes. Hello. Yeah, they just kicked me in now. Hello. Yes. Can you hear me? Yep. Oh, very good. Okay. Um. Yeah, I was. Um. I've been listening to Patriot Radio for a few years now. Um. And long before I knew about any of this stuff. And it's like, as you say, it's a rather dismal picture. Mm-hmm. And the more I learn, the more it, it just seems like, you know, onion-like layers of corruption within corruption within corruption. Mm-hmm. But many years before I knew any of this stuff, um, I had had, like, when I was in my late teens, I came under, like, this I, I, sort of an intuitive conviction intruded upon my consciousness, telling me that I was going to see... Times and the way I had finally put it to words was that I was going to see times of man's inhumanity to man that, that would make a, the atrocities of the Holocaust and World War II look like a Sunday school picnic. Mm-hmm. And I've, that's been like this one, you know, deep-seated conviction that, it, it, you know, dawned on me as a, as a teenager in the 70s that, you know, sort of eventually led to me learning of all this, this sort of stuff. I was wondering what... Uh, you know, since uh, given your knowledge of things exoteric, exoteric and esoteric, I'm wondering what significance you ascribe to intuition, you know, uh, yeah. as it applies to that. Intuition is, uh, is an opposing force, uh, of course, that's suppressed in a technological society, and yet it's one of your main defense uh, mechanisms for survival. Um, it's been well written about by philosophers in the past who talked about, uh, there's a good book, it was called The Coming, The Terrors of the Year 2000, it's by Gilson, and uh, he was a French philosopher who really went into the, the spirit, the soul, intuition, call it what you want, and he said that the system we're now going into, and, it, and this was written in the early 1900s, but he, he talked about um, the system we're going into is one where man is dethroned again, 
that man not only is dethroned, he's a lesser animal. Eventually, he's no animal at all. He's, he's a mechanism. He's a machine. As they try and force you to, into, to, be, to be a statistic, to be an efficient, a reprogrammable machine based on numbers and and. Um, so numbers and statistics and so on and experts would run the entire society and run you as they would run a machine. Much like the movie, that THX movie that they put out, um, which was excellent to show you the dehumanization that they could bring you to with use of pharma and different other methods. So he was talking about that a long time ago because people in the know, and he was certainly well um, associated with all the different organizations work, had been working from the late 1800s, actually the 1700s onwards. He had studied them all, and he said it was a crushing of the soul. When, when intuition was destroyed and it was totally suppressed and, and the people were made to laugh at the thought of having intuition and never mind following it, then it was all over for man himself. So there's a lot to be said for that. Um, it's the soul... Uh, or intuition, it's all combined together, that, that extra human thing that you have inside you that makes you different, that gives you the ability to make choices, as sometimes at your own expense. You can sacrifice for someone else. Uh, we have that ability where animals and so on don't have that ability. Um, but we're taught in, in this uh, materialistic society to suppress all of that. And when we do, we become monsters. If you read... If you read the writings of Lenin, uh, Lenin in his speeches actually said, we shall harden our hearts with blood of our enemies. He says, until we have no emotion whatsoever, we shall slaughter, he says, with no compassion, uh, all our enemies. And, and the tens of hundreds ended up in the tens of uh, millions. But that's what he said. That was the training that they thought the perfect Soviet man would achieve. And we see the same things happening today with, with the, the, the United Nations and the way they train uh, their followers with the same communistic aspect of having to harden their hearts, in fact, become completely uh, non-human to achieve their goals. And if you notice the way that governments run today, it's much the same way. We're all statistics now. Everything is a, is a statistic. Poverty is a statistic. Everything, everything that happens is down in numbers, being run by numbers, right down to the RAND Corporation uh, giving policy advice and using their studies for the American government to run their healthcare system to do with numbers, 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 numbers. That's what it's all about. And so uh, Gilson and others uh, talked about that. That was the area of what they termed, again, in, a, in a, uh, an intellectual way, this, this system of antichrist. Uh, because we're nothing else to explain it as, as what antichrist was, which would mean everything that was anti-human, everything that was non-human, and everything that was utterly evil, um, as far as a thinking, caring, loving human being goes. It was the exact opposite. That's the kind of system that they're bringing in across the world with this whole war on terror and the vast push for globalization. It's making everyone from every ethnic group fit into the same pigeonhole the same uh, squares and round block systems, whether they like it or not, with the boot on top of them to squeeze and squash them in. And even though it doesn't work, and even Souls and Nixon said it, it doesn't work, uh, that they're trying to force this because, you see, this is their religion, it's their belief system, they will not change for anything or any factual evidence that points out to the contrary. Yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed they won't, they, the facts don't bother them because they have no problem of truth, that's for sure. That's right. Like in my in my case, what's what I find hopeful, and this is in my case, 
this intuition militated against this before I even knew anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just a, a sort of a, a, you know, a lemming following, you know, the herd or whatever, you know. And, yeah. um, and it's this, this realization set in for me, you know, at an early age. And I think there's like hope in that because if it can happen to me, it can happen to many others. And yes. I could just hold out hope that there will be a sufficient critical mass of, of people who are not desensitized you know, they can perhaps turn us around, you know. Yes. Well, it's the all turnarounds in a totalitarian regime, and you are living in a totalitarian regime. Uh, all turnarounds really happen with individual sacrifice and even brutality against those who simply individually say no. As you get picked off one at a time until there's so many getting picked off, they can't keep it from the newspapers. That's also what, what part of what happened in the Soviet system. When, the, when the, first the Cheka and then the NKVD and then, of course, uh, the KGB would pick up um, the people in their homes and just in the middle of the night and wake them away and everybody just kept quiet. They were scared to even mention it in case they'd come for them. Uh, and, but eventually there were so many living in camps for so many, many years and generations they couldn't keep it quiet any longer and, and people were saying no and individually suffering for it. Uh, until indignancy takes an awful long time, an awful long time uh, in a naive society, a trained, conditioned, brainwashed society. It takes them a long time to materialize, but it takes an awful lot of suffering. It's not like a, a war where there's the enemy in one side of the battlefield near you and you charge each other and it's all over in an hour. Uh, this, this can take a long, long time because this system has been in control, working quietly for hundreds of years. Yeah. Well, maybe if enough people get to the point where they have nothing more to lose, yeah. they say, well, I may as well, you know, act at, according to my heart because I have nothing more to lose. So if they have, you know, you also, what you were saying, reminded me of Alexander Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago when he said how we burned in the camps, you know, when we realized, you know, that if we had done something, if we had all, you know, risen up against the Yes. And stuff, you know. But when they first started, when they first started, he said that's what that was the key. When they first started it, you see, once you allow something to start and continue, we we adapt to it so quickly as normal. It doesn't matter what it is, we adapt. So he said at the beginning, he says we could have got pickaxes and shovels and attacked them when they only when they came in, in twos and fours, and but eventually they adapted so quickly they they were cowed. Even when they had to turn the whole street out to watch it, that was a law there to make sure everyone got the message, this might happen to you. Well, see, over here, the media does the same job. They, they pick on someone who's been set up often in, in a sting, a, cre- a creation, uh, and then they say, look at them. They're, and this is what will happen to them. They could be rendered off to some country and slaughtered. Well, why do you think they even picked the name rendition? We have rendered meats. For instance, that's where it's associated with. It's a psychological, psycholinguistic warfare that's being used on the public without their knowledge all the time. Yeah. Well, I actually, and it's interesting, I don't hear a lot of patriots talk about this, but even without warning, I think a lot of people, you, I remember when I was in college in RTC, which I eventually left, my colonel walked in one day and wrote the term vital interest on the board. And he asked, what, how would you define that? And I defined it as, I said I would define it as something that you would consider essential for life. Mm-hmm. And he decided, defined it as something for which you were willing to die. Yes. And, and I thought, well, we're really not on the same page here. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons. But it, it, in retrospect, now, I mean, 
people, you know, many people are going to have to die at the hands of these people. And we live in a world where whistleblowers or people who are dissenters, um, you know, where many will die, you know. And I think we have to um, come to terms with that and realize that, you know, without any, without even threat of being violent or revolutionary or anything like that or mm-hmm. uh, engaging in civil war or anything like that, you know, these people are going to come for people and they are going to undo people. It's already in process. Oh, oh they will. There's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt on that. They've been geared up for years for it. In fact, they saw it coming 20 years ago when they started to really recruit more and more cops to, for the new special police forces from the military, directly from the military. And um, they knew they'd bring the crash on. I'm sure they worked out when they'd bring the crash on, probably 30 years ago, and what, would, what kind of society would be by then. After all, no one else was guiding it along to where they wanted to go except themselves, the guys at the top. So they knew where they'd bring us all. They knew when they signed uh, the GATT Treaty that they were signing the death knell for millions of people in America who worked in factories and all the offshoots that supplied the factories. There was thousands of businesses all gone under. They replaced it with nothing. They knew what they were going to do years and years and years ago, and they knew where America would be right now 30, 40 years ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's why it's so important. Like Ultimately, I think it's, it is the info-war concept that will alter consciousness, and that's why it's so important that the materials presently being generated, that even if electricity isn't available and DVDs can't be seen or CDs can't be listened to, mm-hmm. the good old written word, uh, the pen is mightier than the sword thing, mm-hmm. it's very important that this stuff be committed to means that can be transmitted. Yeah, absolutely. Alternate means of communication. In the Soviet Union, they were reduced to hand-printed notes passed around and eventually photocopied and secrecy, and that's how they got it out. You're quite right. But thanks for calling. We're back with more after this break. Hi, folks. We're back and cutting through the matrix. And we got Jane from Ontario on the line. Are you there, Jane? Hi. Hello. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Go um, ahead. Hello. Yes. Go ahead. You were talking about um, the uh, court cases. Yeah. I think it was in Britain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I noticed here uh, my daughter had a problem um, where she was working with sexual harassment and. Uh, she went to the police actually, and um, because the employer wasn't doing anything about it, mm-hmm. and she had to quit her job, and uh, because you know just for safety, because she was it was in a hotel, and you know like mm-hmm. could have been kind of a dangerous situation. So, um, so anyway, she did go to the police, and she was passed from. Uh, she first had one officer that she talked to, and then she was passed to a second one, and then a third, and uh, they were. Like, they were nice to deal with and everything, but um, <clears throat> I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was kind of odd the way they passed her from one person to another. And then yeah. um, we dealt with the Ontario Human Rights Commission as well. Mm-hmm. She got um, this form to fill out, and um, it said that there was a telephone number that you could call for legal advice, but we didn't do that. But, we, you know, she filled out the form and mailed it away, and they sent it back. They said it wasn't filled out correctly, and... <laughs> She corrected it, <laughs> mailed it back to them again, mm-hmm. and then she got it back 
a second time, and uh, she just kind of gave up on <laughs> the whole thing. But there must have been someone who was more important. There's no doubt about it. It all depends who you are as to who you, the, the charge. You know. Uh, well, it was a company. Um, it was a. Uh, like if she if she if we'd had money well I mean she wouldn't have even been working a job like that if if we had money but mm-hmm. um, you know if you had money you'd take the take everybody to court I guess like the mm-hmm. the owner you know and the uh, the friend. see the courts don't work the way that we're trained to think they work and there's a there's a whole mythology about courts and how they operate that we're supposed to believe in but I mean you got to go into the history of the courts and the guys with the funny wigs. And uh, the whole setup. We don't setup. have that here, and at least we yeah. don't have the wigs here in Canada. Yeah, uh, but you've got to really go into the setup of, of the, the history of the court system for the for Britain and the Commonwealth, as they called it. Of course, they call it Dominion of Canada, but uh, it, it all goes back to the same strange uh, system, which is almost alien, in fact, I think, to to even Britain, never mind Canada, uh, that was brought in a long, long time ago. But it, just, it definitely has um, a fraternal structure with its own little systems of passwords and uh, phrases and gestures and all the rest of it, which the public don't understand. Um, and, and believe you me, that people in the right organizations, generally for such offenses, will never be taken to court anyway. Actual, actual perpetrators won't be taken to court. We've seen time and time again that the cover-ups have happened with certain people with who have uh, friends in high places, you know, right. or belong to the right clubs. Mm-hmm. You know. But I just thought, like, it just seems like they're making maybe more red tape, or I, I don't know. I mean, I mm-hmm. like when I was young, was you just kind of handled all that stuff yourself? You didn't even. People, well, like it didn't even have a name, sexual harassment. That's right. Now it's. Uh, I remember it was a. It was a. I was a woman on stage once, um, and she said to me. Uh, she actually said to the crowd. She's a comedian. She says, "Honey, it's only harassment when the guy's poor," uh, and uh, uh, that was one of her jokes. And it's been it's been overused now. It's been overused now, and they've actually found out in many cases in corporate life, especially where someone's trying to get someone out of the place to take their position. I mean, we've got all that to deal with as well. But there's no doubt about it. There's exploitation out there, definitely. But thanks for calling. Well, that's the music ending. Um, I'd like to really go into that because there's so much more to that whole area. But from Hamish myself, and Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me. Your God or your gods go with you.